Today's scripture reading comes from Romans 16, 1 through 16. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Cancrie, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who is the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman, Herodion. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Trophena and Trophosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, George. Thank you, worship team. Church, you can have a seat. Let's turn in our Bibles to the passage just read, Romans 16. Good job, George. Good job out of you. (laughs) Better you than me, brother. Better you than me. Well, it is quite an interesting passage in Romans 16 dealing with this list of names and these greetings We're going to get into that this morning, but I want to start just by sharing one of my favorite cinematic moments ever. It takes place in the Lord of the Rings, the first movie, The Fellowship of the Ring, when this great team of individuals gather at Rivendell to embark on this quest. They have this evil ring that needs to be destroyed, Frodo does. So what they do is they cobble together this diverse and awkward group of nine people to travel to Mordor and destroy the ring. You have an elf named Legolas. You have a wizard named Gandalf. You have a dwarf named Gimli. And and dwarves hate elves, by the way, which is a great subplot in the movie. You have two men. You have Strider and Boromir. And then you have four hobbits, Frodo, Sam, Merry, and Pippin, who are the weakest of the group, but in some ways they're the strongest of the group. And they all set aside their differences, set aside even the little squabbles they have among themselves to to share this objective, to destroy the ring and the fires of Mordor. When I think about that scene, I think about the church. I think about this group of different people that God has brought together. I think about this church. I think about Harvest Decatur, this group of all different kinds of people that come together for a common purpose, 
making disciples, doing what Jesus told us to do. I've been reading this book as well about the Second World War and specifically about the part of that war that was fought in North Africa. I didn't know a lot about this, and I was, in the book, there's some detail there about the Eighth Army, this famous uh, army led by Bernard Montgomery that defeated the Germans, chased Erwin Rommel out of North Africa, the Desert Fox. And, you know, I knew some of that, but I didn't know the Eighth Army, this famous army, was made up of such a diverse group of people. It wasn't just Brits that were part of the Eighth Army. There were also Canadians. There were also people from Poland and from New Zealand and from Canada. There were even Sikhs from India and other Indians that were a part of this British Eighth Army, working together for a common purpose, to defeat the Nazis in the Second World War. Mission accomplished. Now, when I think about the church, when I think about Harvest Decatur specifically, I think we have a similar makeup and objective we're different people gathered from different places, different backgrounds, and we're marshalling our forces together for a common cause. To, to make disciples, to worship God, to serve the Lord, and, and fulfill the commandment that Jesus gave us in Matthew 28. Go make disciples. That's what we're doing here at Harvest Decatur. We're working together to make disciples. But also, you know, that mission derives from places like the New Testament and Rome and these greetings that Paul gives in Romans 16, that has this list of names from all over the place, different kinds of Jews and Gentiles, different statuses in life. Who would have thought that such a simple passage with these greetings could be so pregnant with significance? Who would have thought that we could derive such pleasure and such significance from reading this list of like 26 names, maybe more than that here? It's amazing. And by the way, let me say this. Can I say this? When you think about Paul, this great theologian, we've been studying the book of Romans for a while now. You know, Paul, let me just say for the record, he was not an ivory tower theologian. He was not some guy that was just locking himself away and writing treatise after treatise after treatise to the church and, you know, expounding the book, the Old Testament for people in isolation. You know, what we see about Paul in Romans 16 is Paul, Paul was a people person. He loved people. There's people all over the place in Romans 16. You know, Romans, this is fascinating to me in the book of Romans. First, Paul is theological, Romans 1 through 11. Then Paul is practical, Romans 12 through 15. Now Paul is personal. This was not written in a vacuum. This is written to real people, real flesh and blood people in a real church. And we see evidence of that in Romans 16. And I think there's some important principles for our church that we can derive from Romans 16. I've got three for you this morning. I'm calling the message today more than just greetings. And I want to give you three principles derived from Romans 16, 1 through 16. Write these down, Harvest Decatur. Here's the first. The first principle is that church is a celebration of diversity. Church is a celebration of diversity. Church is like the fellowship of the ring. I'm not going to say who the dwarves and elves are here, but it's like that. <laughs> Church is like the British Eighth Army. 
It's, it's a group of like-minded people from different backgrounds that covenant together to serve one another for this common purpose. We're different here at Harvest Decatur, but we share Christ in common, don't we? That's what links us together. We've got Christ, and we've got Christ's mission in Matthew 28. Let me show you some of the diversity that's found in Romans 16. This is maybe something that escapes you even as, as uh, George is reading because these names are so foreign to us. But, so let me just point out some things here. Different kinds of diversity. First, we have ethnic diversity. We have ethnic diversity in the church. Some of the individuals that Paul mentions here are Jewish. There's a woman named Mary. There were these two individuals, famous individuals, Priscilla and Aquila, who we know were Jewish. They got kicked out of Rome for being Jewish. Paul refers to several of these individuals as his kinsmen. Not, you know, they were literally related to him as brother and sister, but they were Jewish like him. They shared that heritage with him. But most of the names in this list, most of these names are Gentiles. I mean, some of the names even derive from pagan Greek and Roman deities. Apollos, Hermes, Hermos, Narcissus. And we know already, we knew even before Romans 16 that this was a multi-ethnic church. Because we saw in Romans 14 and Romans 15, that multi-ethnic makeup of the church was causing divisions. The Jews and the Gentiles were fighting with one another. Can I just say something? Sometimes when you have diversity in the church, there's conflict. Did y'all know that? Sometimes you have trouble getting along. And you know, maybe it would have been easier if they went to Rome. It's like, well, let's start a Jewish church and then let's start a Gentile church. God says, no, we're going to put them together. They're going to learn to get along together. I love that. And we've got to learn that lesson too here at Harvest Decatur with our diversity and the way that God has brought us together. God drew, drew them together so that they could learn to work through conflict and love each other and serve one another. There's ethnic diversity. There's also socioeconomic diversity. Many of the Gentile names in this list includes slaves or freed slaves. For example, Names like Ampliatus, verse 8, and Urbanus, verse 9, those were commonly used for slaves in the Roman Empire or, or freed slaves in some instances. On the other side of the equation, there's Narcissus, who was a famous and influential servant of Emperor Claudius at this time. Same for Aristobulus. He's connected with the wealthy Herodian family. So you have people on opposite scales of social class. You have the social elites, in this world, and then you have the Dalits, so to speak, in this world, that are there worshiping together, so you have social, socioeconomic diversity. There's also gender diversity, which that might not seem like a big deal for us, but that's a big deal in the first century world. For Paul to mention so many women in this list, Paul mentions nine women in this list, including Phoebe. So we have men and we have women who are represented in the church and who are working hard for the church. More on that in just a second. And when I, I wanna be clear about this too. When I say diversity, I, I mean men and women, okay? I didn't always need to say this, pastor didn't always need to say that, but I need to say it in this state. Gender is binary. So when I say diversity of gender, we have men and we have women and they're both valued by Paul in these greetings. What's interesting is that in the ancient Jewish world, there was this writing called the Talmud. 
that many Jews would use and would pray prayers after the Talmud. And there's a prayer recorded in the Talmud that goes like this. A Jewish man would wake up and he would praise God and thank God for not making him a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. Just imagine this, a Jewish man, 100, 200 years before Paul, maybe even in Paul's day, woke up and said, oh, praise God that I'm not a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. Now, isn't it interesting that Paul, here's this Jewish guy, as he's writing the book of Romans, as he's ending this book, who does he recognize at the end? Women, slaves, and Gentiles. And not just them, he also mentions men, freemen, and Jews, all together, the diversity of the church manifested in the church in Rome. That's fantastic. And I, and I think applicationally for us, the passage is teaching us that God loves diversity manifested in the local church. You can add to that age diversity. You can add to that also, you know, people from different uh, times of life getting saved. Paul mentions this, these individuals, Andronicus and Unia, that they are well known to the apostles because they were in Christ before me. They got saved before Paul got saved. And these guys have been walking with the Lord for a while now. And then I imagine, too, in Rome, in this church, there's baby Christians, too. That's good. That's healthy to have that diversity of people who have walked with the Lord for six months, six years, 60 years, all together worshiping together. Diversity in the church, celebration of diversity that's what Paul does here. Church is a celebration of diversity. Write this down as a second principle from the passage. Church is also a priesthood of believers. Church is a priesthood of believers. I've said this before, but one of the great errors of the church in the Middle Ages is this wide chasm that emerged between the clergy and the laity. You had the clergy and then the laity. And this was all referred to uh, historically as sacerdotalism. Sacerdotalism, it's the idea that you, you have to go to somebody else to receive something from God. You can't confess your sins directly to God, you gotta go confess to the priest and the priest offers up your prayers to the Lord. You, you can't read your own Bible, that's dangerous. So, you know, go to the priest. The priest will read and explain the Bible for you. That way, you know, he can kind of talk to God. You're, you're a dangerous person to read God's words on your own. This, this even manifested within communion. You would only take a certain part of communion while the priest would take all of communion. Or you would have the, the elements made holy by a holy man who would give them to you. Don't touch the elements. You're unholy. And I think that's, that created huge problems for the church in the Middle Ages. So the Protestant reformers, some of my heroes, by the way, saw all of that happening in the church and said, no, 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 no. No. Jesus Christ died for all of us. We are all made in the image of God and we all have been redeemed in Christ Jesus. We have, a, we have entrance, we have reception from the Lord to bring our requests to him. And, and that was a beautiful thing in the midst of, of the Protestant Reformation, and that is derived from passages in the New Testament, like Romans 12, that says that everyone has a gift, and everyone should use that gift for the edification of the church. You have a gift, just like I do, to be used for the church, priesthood of believers. Now, does that mean that I don't believe in professional clergy? No. I believe in it. I'm Pastor Tony. 
And in fact, the Bible makes a case for that in 1 Timothy 5.17, where Paul speaks about elders who preach and teach and are worthy of double honor. So yes, I believe in that, but I also believe in the, the priesthood of believers. You know, the, pa- the pastor should not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, or the priest in whatever setting, or the elders. And the laity should not think of themselves less than they ought to think. And all of this, and so here's Romans 16. This is, this is why I know I'm kind of taking a long route to get here. But here's Paul. He's wrapping up his letter in Romans 16. And, you know, what's fascinating here as he lists all of these people, 26 people, however many they are, he doesn't even say who the pastor of the church is in Rome. He doesn't even say who the elders are. Not because it's not important, it is important. It would have been important to Paul. But he doesn't want to emphasize that. He wants to emphasize how all people in the church are important and all people in the church serve in the church. And, and I, can I just say, mission accomplished, Paul. Yeah, I mean, these, some of these, well, we've never ever heard of these people. But they're serving faithfully in their local church. And I, can I say this too, as a complementarian, let me say this. Some of the most prominent names in this list, the ones that Paul zeroes in on as working hard for the Lord in the church are women. Did y'all notice that? Praise God for faithful women who serve the church. That's one of the things that Paul's emphasizing here. Let me show you this. Maybe y'all didn't know this by some of the names that were read here. For example, Paul mentions a woman named Mary in verse 6. Everyone see Mary in verse 6? There's a lot of Marys in the Bible, but none of those Marys are this Mary. Nothing is known about this Mary outside of this one verse in the Bible. And she probably was one of those wallflowers at church that didn't get noticed much, but Paul singles her out here. And Paul makes a point to say, this Mary works hard for you, church in Rome. She works hard. In fact, the word for work hard here is the Greek Kapiao, kapiao, it's often translated labor or toil. It's the same word that Peter used when he told Jesus that he'd been fishing all night and caught, caught nothing. Y'all remember that? Master, we toiled all night, we kapiao. We, we toiled all night, we, we found nothing. Mary was a faithful laborer in the Roman church and Paul took notice. She works hard for the church. The word kapiao, it's also used in verse 12 for a woman named Persis. Persis has worked hard in the Lord. Paul also refers to Tryphena and Tryphosa. These two women, he calls them workers. Ironically, everybody see that? Tryphena and Tryphosa. It's at verse 12. Those two names, you know what those two names mean? They mean dainty and delicate. Tryphena and Tryphosa. Dainty and delicate. And I'm not, I'm not so sure that Paul isn't being a little bit Ironic here with what he's saying. You know, dainty and delicate in your church? They work hard. They're, they're dutiful servants for the Lord. These dainty and delicate in your church. Hardworking women. There's also Priscilla in this list. Everyone see her name in verse three? Priscilla, or it's Prisca. Priscilla is the diminutive of Prisca. So Tony is the diminutive of Anthony. Same name. Nobody calls me Anthony except telemarketers. Most people call me Tony, and Prisca went by both names. Luke, Luke calls her Priscilla. Paul calls her Prisca. And what's interesting, too, is you look at Aquila and Priscilla, more often than not in the New Testament when they show up, and they show up quite a bit, uh, her name is mentioned first, Priscilla and Aquila. 
And that's either because she had a higher social standing or maybe she was the more gifted one of this married couple. I don't know. I mean, but it's perfectly, I mean, you can call me Tony and Sonia. You can call us Sonia and Tony. That's fine. Some people call us Sony and Tanya. That's fine too. <laughs> it doesn't really matter who comes first. We're a team and we serve and we work together for the Lord. And that's what this couple did. Look at verse three with me. Paul says, greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. They were famous for their faithful service to the Lord. Look at verse five. Greet also the church in their house. Notice that the church in Rome met in their house. Churches in that day didn't have buildings like we have here they couldn't afford them and even if they could the Romans wouldn't let them buy land or property like this so they met in homes and so Priscilla and Aquila open up their homes every week for worship talk about working for the Lord talk about hospitality I mean, what, what an amazing display of love for the church to do that who knows how many people showed up at their house 50 people and Paul says they risked their necks for him that'll knit your heart together with somebody you almost die for them That'll make you love somebody else and, and uh, you know, who knows when this happened. You might remember from the book of Acts that Priscilla and Aquila, they were in Corinth. Paul got them and took them to Ephesus as part of his missionary entourage. This was after they were chased out of Rome for being Jewish. They landed on their feet. They were working for Christ. They were working for Paul. They were one of his fellow missionaries, one of his trusted fellow missionaries. A married couple, by the way, you know, it's kind of a shame. Some people in our culture, they get married and it's like they disappear for the Lord. And they're really faithful to the Lord as a single person. They get married and it's like, uh, we're done serving Christ. Not this couple. And they weren't risk averse either. I mean, I don't know what it was. I don't know when they risked their life for Paul. I mean, that could be anywhere in the book of Acts. Because like I said last week, he, last week, he's almost getting killed all the time. It was probably in Ephesus when that riot started. You know, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Probably at that time, they risked themselves in order to protect Paul. Now this couple, we know from Romans, is back in Rome, again risking their lives, opening up their house for the church in the belly of the beast, in the city of Rome. They're letting people into their homes. They're hosting the church. Also speaking of a faithful servant, and a faithful woman risking her, lives for the, her life for the gospel is also this mysterious woman, Phoebe. We, we don't know anything about her other than this. Romans 12, 1 and 2. And it seems clear from this passage that Phoebe was actually the one that Paul entrusted to take the letter of Romans to the Roman church. So she risked her life to travel from Sincrea. Sincrea is near Corinth where Paul wrote this letter about eight miles away. She risked her life to travel to Rome and deliver this letter to the Roman church. I read a commentator this last week that said that Phoebe traveled to Rome with the future of Christian theology hidden under her cloak. <laughs> you think about that? She had the book of Romans. And she brought it to the church. It's quite a task. Paul says in verse 1, I commend to you our sister Phoebe a servant of the church at Sincrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints 
Help her in whatever way she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. This is, Walt, this is Paul's way of saying, by the way, take care of this lady. If she needs money, you give her money when she shows up. If she needs a place to stay, you, you give her a place to stay. She's valuable to me. That's high praise coming from the Apostle Paul. And what's interesting, too, is you think about the Apostle Paul, you know, he, he always worked in networks of people. He always had people he trusted, men and also women like Phoebe and also couples like Priscilla and Aquila. You know, Timothy later is mentioned as a fellow worker. He mentions Urbanus here as a fellow worker. He, work, he mentions Priscilla and Aquila as fellow workers. Doug Moo says this in his commentary, just to reinforce this idea that Paul was not an ivory tower theologian. Moo says, Paul's reference to co-workers reminds us that Paul was not a lone ranger kind of missionary. At every point in his ministry, Paul depended on, the, on a significant number of others who were working along with him. And if Paul needed such help, how much more do we? There's no room in modern ministry for the lone ranger approach either. That's a part of this priesthood of believers priesthood of the saints concept because another point that Paul's making here is that every person in the church is important every person in the church has a role we all have duties to perform before the Lord we are all priests of Christ Jesus Paul would have agreed with the reformers who articulated priesthood of the believers Paul would agree with the apostle Peter who said this to the church You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of his darkness, out of darkness into his marvelous light. Amen. Hallelujah. You know, I often fantasize about like what what would Paul write to us if he was writing to the church indicator, harvest decatur. Y'all ever think about this? What, What would he say to us? How would he compliment us? How would he rebuke us? And I think, I really think that Paul would point out the people in our church who faithfully serve and maybe don't ever get noticed for it. The Marys and the Phoebes and the Priscillas and Aquilas in our church. The lowly Harvest Kids volunteers who serve your children. And the small group leaders who welcome people into their houses and say, eat my food and spend time in my house. Let me love on you for a little while. I think Paul would commend them in Harvest Decatur. I think Paul would commend the women of Harvest Decatur. That's a good place for an amen, ladies of Harvest Decatur. We got two staff that are women here. I think Paul would say those women are... Tearing it up over there at Harvest Decatur, working hard for the Lord. I think he would compliment them. And he might even tell us to appreciate and love them for the work that they do. And maybe, just maybe he'll mention Pastor Tony. I don't know. That'd be great. Pastor Ryan. But I tell you what, if he did, he wouldn't say, greet the Reverend Bishop Pontificate Pastor Tony PhD and kiss his ring for me. He would not say that. He would say, and welcome that other servant of Jesus Christ, Tony and Ryan and the elders, priesthood of believers. We're all in this together, serving Christ with our gifts. And thirdly, write this down as number three. 
Church is a celebration of diversity. It's a priesthood of believers. Church is also a network of Christ-centered relationships. I added Christ-centered there. If you can't squeeze that in, put it on top. Because I just feel like I need to emphasize with that adjective that Christ is the glue that bonds us all together. Church is a network of Christ-centered relationships. Church, what is church? Church is not a building. Y'all know that, don't you? They didn't have a building in Rome. There's an old saying about football. It goes like this. Football isn't about X's and O's. It's about the Jimmy's and the Joe's. Y'all ever heard that before? I know it's not football season, but give me a little latitude, would you? Football isn't about X's and O's. It's about the Jimmy's and the Joe's. What does that mean? It's about the players. It's about the people. That makes the difference in football. And I, I'm going to steal that analogy and just say that the church is a group of people. Church is a group of Jimmy's and Joe's and Jane's committed to one another, committed to Christ. We are a people. We are a gathered, committed covenanted body of belief. We are the bride of Christ. That's what the church is. And you know, theologically, there's, there's two diff- things different going on, going on with the church. There's what's called the church local and then the church universal. Have I talked about this before? Y'all have heard me say this, haven't you? There's the church local, which is like Rome, a body of believers like Harvest Decatur. It's a local church. We're committed here. But then there's also, outside of Harvest Decatur, there are other faithful communities of faith and churches around the world and around our city and around Illinois. And that's called the universal church. There's the church local and the church universal. And what's amazing here is, you know, Paul, as he's writing to Rome, he's never been to that church. He doesn't, he didn't plant that church. And yet he's got this connection with people that, He's not the shepherd over, yeah, he's the apostle, but he's on the outside, but he's also on the inside. Look at verse eight. Look at some of these connections. Paul says, greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. That's one man to another man saying, he's my beloved. Look at verse nine. He said to my beloved Stachys as well. I love this man. Look at verse 12. Paul says, greet the beloved Persis. Persis is a woman. And Paul calls her beloved. This is not a hashtag me too creepy thing going on here. This is good and appropriate love demonstrated between the sexes. And that's good in the church. Like Jesus demonstrated towards Mary Magdalene. Like Jesus demonstrated towards Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha. Look at verse 5. Paul says, greet my beloved Apinatus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. That's amazing right there. This must have been the first person that Paul led to Christ in Asia. The first person, first convert, not modern Asia, but the Roman province of Asia. Now that first convert, who's probably an experienced Christian by now, he's, he's in Rome, worshiping with the church in Rome. 
He's probably a leader there, I would think. Paul calls him beloved. Look at verse 13. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother who has been a mother to me as well. Rufus's mother was so close to Paul, she was like a mother to him. You know, and that's how the church should be. You should have people in the church who are like a mother to you and like a son to you and like a daughter to you. You're that close to them. Our bonds are that tight. That's healthy in the church. And then Paul says at the end of the passage, look at verse 16. He says, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I know that sentence is shocking in our modern world, especially in our current COVID-19 world. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Uh Uh-uh. But it was quite common in the ancient world for people to kiss, even in Croatia. Close family members and friends, they kiss on the cheek. It's a greeting. The churches in Paul adopted that practice as a way of greeting and showing, showing proper affection to one another. Notice the word holy there. Okay, that's an important word. This is not something creepy. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, for the record, I don't think we need to adopt that custom slavishly here at Harvest Decatur. So some of y'all can breathe a sigh of relief. Woo! Y'all were sweating bullets, weren't y'all? But I will say this. I think our greetings to one another, both inside our church building and outside, needs to be one of appropriate affection and warmth for one another. And it, I mean, maybe that's a wave at six feet distance. Hey, how's it going? Maybe that's a holy handshake. Maybe that's a fraternal fist bump. Maybe that's, and I'm just, you know, speculating here. Maybe that's a high five. I love high fives. I know y'all think it's dorky. I think it's awesome. (laughs) That's my favorite thing to do when Harvest Kids. I'm going to be doing that next week is high-fiving all the kids as they go down the hall. Now, whether you adopt that or not, here's the point. Here's how you put this into practice. Find an appropriate and an affectionate way to greet one another. There's nothing worse than walking into a church building and being ungreeted and feeling unwelcomed. Find a way to be warm and affectionate towards one another. And I want you to notice too how Paul says in verse 16 that all the churches of Christ greet you. Paul sends his greetings. He tells the church to greet one another. And then he says, all the churches of Christ here near me greet you. I think that's so important. Because Paul has relationships in his current church where he's at and then extended beyond that to other churches. There's this interconnected relationship between the churches. And we need that too. That's why we're part of a network called GCC. We're working with other churches. We're collaborating with them to plant churches and to have like-mindedness and to learn from one another. That's good. It's good to view yourself not as a cul-de-sac, but as part of God's work in other places around the world. Paul sees that. I think we should see that. You know, I will say this too about having, you know, healthy connections and a network of Christ-centered relationships. Paul shows us here just how many relationships he has and how many friends he has. 
And, you know, Paul was a genius. He could have locked himself in a room and just wrote stuff all day long. He didn't do that. He got out. He mingled with people. He loved people. He shared his faith with people. And I think there's a warning here for us as Americans, modern-day Americans, because what are we like in America? We like tall fences and big garages so that we can park our car at night and close it and not have to say hi to our neighbors. And we like to go home to our televisions and our computers and just escape from the world. And I'll tell you, some of you younger people, as you get older, the temptation to do that gets stronger in your life. It gets stronger. You know what? You gotta fight that. And, and I'm speaking to the men primarily here. I think women do a pretty good job maintaining that work. Sometimes women don't. Men are horrible at this. You know what they do as they age? They tinker in their garage all the time and never leave it. And they don't have friendships and they don't have relationships and they don't know anybody and they, they isolate, isolate, isolate. Don't do that, Harvest Decatur. Don't do that. We need each other. We need that network of Christ-centered relationships in the church and also what Paul models here is people from other churches as well. That's good and that's healthy. Don't isolate yourselves. The church, Harvest Decatur, is a celebration of diversity. It's a priesthood of believers and it's a network of Christ-centered relationships. That's what we learn about the church in Romans 16, 1 through 16. And to all this, you might say, wow, you know, how is this all possible? How could this church know each other and love one? How could Paul know all of these people and have all these connections? And even... You know, this church in Rome that's so diverse, people from different backgrounds. How, how could this come together as a body of Christ? I, I, that's the greatest marvel of this text. People from different ethnic and socioeconomic backgrounds coming together and worshiping as one church. How is that possible? Let me ask it this way. What's the common link that knit their hearts together in the church? keeping them united and strong as a church. In wrestling that question, I think we're tempted to say, well, it's the Apostle Paul. He's the knit. He's the X factor. He's what keeps them together. They all know Paul, or most of them know Paul. But hold on now. Let's be clear. Paul, Paul has never been to this church yet. He's making plans to come there. He hadn't been there yet. Paul didn't plant this church this is not the church of the Apostle Paul. And even, even if Paul planted it, he wouldn't have liked it being called the church of the Apostle Paul. He would have been upset by that. So what is, let's come at that question another way. What is the thing that drew this church ultimately together and gave them their, their, their unity and their fellowship and this network of relationships? Let me ask that question more precisely. Who is the link that brings this church together? It's the easiest question I'm going to ask today. It's their Savior, the Lord Jesus. 
This is the church of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the foundation that brings and holds this church together. Paul says in verse 16, not the churches of Paul, the apostle, but the churches of Christ. Interestingly enough, there's a, there's a person in this church. I'll close with this. His name is Rufus. Does everybody see Rufus in verse 13? By the way, there are some, there's some really bad names choices for names those of you having babies right now don't choose a name from Romans 16 okay because that baby dedication is going to be a debacle all right asyncritus and aristobulus those sound like diseases okay don't name your children those names phoebe maybe phoebe phoebe's cool rufus everybody see rufus in verse 13 most of the names in this list are just one-off References to random people we have no idea about. I mean, verse 14, greed, asyncritus, fled John, Hermes. I can't even pronounce these names. I don't know who these people are. But Rufus, Rufus is different. Rufus shows up somewhere else in the Bible. Do you know where? There's a place in the Gospel of Mark, and a lot of scholars think that Mark was actually written in Rome. There's a place in the Gospel of Mark where Rufus shows up in Mark 15, verse 21. You see, Jesus, here's what happened. Jesus was carrying his cross to Golgotha. And he had been beaten and whipped, and he was close to the point of death even before he got to Golgotha. And he was so broken down that they actually took somebody out of the crowd to carry the cross for Jesus the rest of the way. And so they pulled this guy named Simon of Cyrene out of the crowd. And this guy had the agonizing duty to not just carry this cross, but to actually be an instrument that helped put this man, this man he didn't even know, Jesus, to death. Well, Mark tells us that that man, Simon of Cyrene, he had two sons. He had a son named Alexander. And he had another son named Rufus. Mark 15, verse 21. And I I wouldn't take a bullet for this, but it's quite possible that this son, Rufus, was there when his father, Simon of Cyrene, carried Jesus' cross, and he was an eyewitness testimony to Jesus' crucifixion. I think that's possible, possible, plausible even. And I think that's why Paul makes reference to him as the elect here. He had that, can we call it a privilege? Anyways, my point is this. The thing that knit the hearts of these people together, Rufus included, was not the Apostle Paul and his ministry to them. It wasn't the church planter that came in and planted the church, whoever that was initially. What knit their hearts together was Jesus Christ, the God-man, who was crucified on a hill called Golgotha 2,000 years ago, and three days after was raised from the dead. Jesus Christ is the link that holds this church together. And can I just derive from that application for us? We're different You know, look around a little bit here if you want to. 
we're different. We're so different here as a church. Why do we come here? Why do we call ourselves a church? Is this like the Kiwanis Club? Do we just want to hang out? If this was the Kiwanis Club, you guys probably would vote some people out of the Kiwanis Club. I don't know. What is that thing that we hold in common that knits our hearts together? We hold in common that Jesus Christ is our Savior. And he died for us. And we love him together. And we worship him together. And worshiping him together and loving him together is better than doing that alone. That's why he gave us the church. So, Harvest Decatur, let's be a church that celebrates our diversity that embraces the priesthood of believers and that taps in to the network of Christ-centered relationships found here and also in other like-minded churches. Amen. Pray with me. Lord, I praise you for the differences found here in our church. I praise you, Lord, that we, although different, have in common you, our God. And we have in common salvation purchased for us by Jesus Christ, his death on the cross. And Lord, I pray that we would love and serve the church of Jesus Christ. Give us a heart for that, Lord. I pray that we would love each other. I pray that we would welcome each other into our homes. I pray that we would serve each other's kids, volunteering and Harvest Kids and elsewhere, VBS coming up. I pray that, Lord, each time a person comes into this church, we would welcome them with warmth and affection and maybe a word of encouragement. I pray that our small groups would be vital, that we would be vulnerable with each other and pray hard for one another when we go through a trying situation. God, Harvest Decatur is your church. You are the great shepherd. You are the senior pastor here. Knit our hearts together, we pray. Give us a love for each other and a love for you. Give us such, a, such an unbreakable bond. Knit our hearts together so that we can speak of one another as beloved. That's my beloved friend at Harvest Decatur. That's my beloved sister, my beloved brother in Christ at Harvest. Lord, thank you for the cross. Thank you for your
shed blood that paid for our sins. Thank you for salvation found only in Jesus Christ. We share that in common. Amen.